From The Conversation, this is Politics with Michelle Grattan, a podcast where Michelle discusses the issues of the day with The Conversation's politics team. Hi, my name's Amanda Dunn. I'm the Politics and Society Editor for The Conversation, and I'm speaking with Michelle Grattan. Hi, Michelle. Hi, Amanda, and a very belated Happy New Year to our listeners. Yes, indeed. Uh, The new parliamentary year started this week, and already there has been much that has happened. The most notable thing is that the Reserve Bank, as widely expected, has just announced that it would lift interest rates by another quarter of a percentage point, which is its ninth straight interest rate hike. Now, people don't seem to be blaming the government specifically for this, Michelle, but it does put a lot of pressure on them, doesn't it? Absolutely, and we'll put more pressure on them as the year goes on. Of course, it could have been worse. Uh, In the last couple of days, there's been speculation the rise could have been even more. But uh, even at a quarter of a percentage point, this is going to hit a lot of people hard because, uh, as you say, it comes on top of all those earlier rises. The cost of living in political terms has given the opposition something to run on this week. And uh, in general, it's been looking pretty thin, the Dutton opposition, so uh, it certainly needed uh, some issues and uh, the cost of living will be a continuing issue for it. Let me just read one sentence from the statement from the Reserve Bank, which uh, many people will find particularly alarming. It says the board expects that further increases in interest rates will be needed over the months ahead to ensure that inflation returns to target and that this period of high inflation is only temporary. So that's saying really prepare for things to get a lot worse with your mortgage over the coming months. Yes, all right. And um, Michelle, yesterday the big news was that Lydia Thorpe announced that she was leaving the Greens to sit on the Senate crossbench over differences of opinion about the voice to Parliament. How will this play out? And is this really a big blow for the Greens? I mean, it's not a surprise given her quite vocal opposition to the voice to Parliament, but is it damaging for the party? Well, it's a blow, of course, in the sense that if you've got a dozen senators and you lose one, that's not good. It means your power is somewhat reduced. But on the other hand, I think Lydia Thorpe has been something of an embarrassment to the Greens on issues and indeed on some of her behaviour. And to that extent, not having her in the ranks does have an upside, even if it's a limited upside. I think it's interesting that more generally this does complicate the position in the Senate for the government. The government's had a very easy run in the Senate so far. For contested legislation, that is where the coalition is opposing, the government needs the Greens plus one or has needed the Greens plus one. Now it needs the Greens plus two of the crossbench and uh, that means that it has to do more negotiation. And I think it also means that it brings Jackie Lambie and her uh, second senator more into the play. Of course, all the attention has been on crossbencher David Pocock, 
The government's found him easy to deal with. He's got some concessions, but he's been there on critical measures. I think that Jackie Lambie has felt a bit out of the play. She's less predictable than David Pocock, but now I think the government will be looking to her for support on legislation because I think she certainly will be easier to deal with than Lydia Thorpe. All right, Michelle, and just on The Voice more broadly, the polling still shows strong support for it, even if that has softened a little in recent times. And Peter Dutton is still asking for more detail, which he seems to have been asking for for months now. Is he just stalling for time for the Liberal Party to come to a position? And how well will this strategy work out for him, do you think? No one can be quite sure what's in Peter Dutton's head in terms of tactics and substance at this point on the voice issue. For example, he has said that he'll attend another meeting of the referendum uh, working group, which he uh, went to virtually the other day. But I think as time goes on, the feeling is that he is preparing the way for the Liberal Party to oppose the voice. This isn't certain, but it seems to be at this moment drifting that way. And I do think these tactics, if he continues them too much longer, uh, will bring him quite a, a lot of criticism. Now, he does have a divided party. He's in a very difficult position, uh, certainly in the teal seats, some of which he does need to win back to have a, a hope of getting into power. Uh, they would be in favour of the voice and they would be looking pretty critically at how the Liberals are handling things at the moment. That having been said, I also believe there are more questions to be answered. And one question that people don't even seem to be asking much is if the referendum passes, when will the voice actually be up and running? Now, there's been some speculation that it mightn't be going until 2025. That would seem to me really far too far away, given that the government is saying that it's absolutely necessary to get more advice from Indigenous people for the uh, practical progress to be made on closing the gap issues. Well, that would be an absurd delay, wouldn't it? I mean, given that we're expecting the referendum in the second half of this year, to say that it wouldn't be up and running until 2025 is an 18-month to two-year window. Well, that's right, and it's not being said officially, but there has been speculation, and I do think that the government needs to give a, a time frame for implementation. Now, it's also saying there need to be more consultation with Indigenous people, although there's been a great deal of consultation uh, so far, but even if you factor that in, I think that uh, it should be up and running in a, a much more reasonable period. All right. And just finally, Michelle, yesterday it was announced that the Alice Springs alcohol bans would be reinstated in response to the recent upsurge in crime in the town. This has been hard fought politically as well, hasn't it? I think this was the right decision, but uh, it's a decision that the Northern Territory government was not willing to take uh, last year when these bans, which were in the federal legislation, lapsed because it took the attitude that bans were race-based. 
which of course uh, is is true, but there are other factors involved like the safety of women and children. Now, I think that the Northern Territory government came to this decision to reimpose the bans pretty reluctantly, but Anthony Albanese was quite firm in his view that they needed to go back and the Northern Territory then did fall into line. But it's quite clear that the bans are only, as it were, a band-aid, that you've got to tackle the underlying problems of employment, of health, of education, getting kids to school. The government did announce uh, this week that there'd be $250 million for a number of initiatives, but uh, I think that there'll have to be a lot more work on policy and probably a good deal more money put into trying to deal with these problems. And the need for a wider approach, as well as the bans, was outlined in that report that went uh, last week to the two governments. It was a report done in a week, but I think it did show the extent of the problem and also the need for very broad ways of attacking it. All right, Michelle, terrific to be back in the swing of things and as always to talk with you. Thanks very much. Thanks, Amanda. Good to talk. Our theme music is by Blue Dot Sessions. You can find more podcasts from The Conversation on our website at theconversation.com.